Let me pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we know that you're here. Um, you know that this is hard stuff. Um, transformation is never easy. And um, Lord, we just we want to lay all that at your feet. And we want to ask you to help us as we try to um, make sense of some difficult truths. We want to ask you um, to show us what you want us to see about you. Um, Lord, we walk in here carrying all kinds of heavy stuff. And um, Lord, I just pray for the next 40 minutes or so that we can just lay them down and focus only on you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Okay, I saw the craziest thing in the lobby today. Guess what I saw? I saw eight new people register on week three. You people, clap for them, please. That's awesome. That's like brave and awesome and cool. And I just want to encourage you, if this is your first week, if this is your third week, um, we want you to be encouraged. I don't know why this week encouragement seemed to be a thing that all of us in the leadership team needed. We needed to be reminded that there's going to be those questions that we dwell in the I don't know. Am I right? A lot of that. There's going to be times when it just doesn't make sense and you never get clarity. And guess what, guys? Come. Come anyway. And there's going to be times when you get behind in your homework. And, and I'm going to, I would love it if you got caught up before you came. But you know what? Sometimes, this is the real world, people. Sometimes you just can't. And so I want to encourage you, don't let those little things distract you and keep you from being here. Okay? We want you here. And God has stuff to show us whether we get every question done or not. Okay? With that said, we're going to talk about tests today. Who loves tests? Oh, my word. Someone raised their hand, Evelyn, Luna. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, every, I did a lot of research, of course, on, before I prepared to come. And a lot of things I saw use that word test. And that's a scary word. And I know that the title of our lesson this week is The Tests of Righteousness and Love. But I want to encourage you. When you see the word test, I want you to remember this. The, the, the test is not, is not necessarily... Um, it's not necessarily the product of, of, of what tells this is you have to pass this test or you're not saved. Does that sort of make sense? What the test is, it's this representative of, of asking yourself this question like, if I'm saved, if I know God in the way that John tells us in this um, second chapter, if I know him, if I really know him, then the test is, shouldn't some of these things be popping up in my life? Okay, so I want you to think in terms of that, because that word test can have a real negative connotation to it. So we're not going to do that, but when you hear the word test, I want you to remember that. That it's really just an outward showing of, of, of a representative of your faith. Make sense? And so when you look into First uh, John chapter 2 and then on into chapter 3, you find that um, a lot of the scholars like to say that John uses these three tests um, that he's going to share that can help us understand our faith and if we do truly know the Lord. And so today we're going to talk about two of them. Just for your reference, there's three tests that, that um, we're going to cover, but today we're going to cover two of them. It's, there's a test of righteousness or obedience. And what that means really, guys, is that we're obedient to God and we're moving in the right direction. That's it, okay? You're just moving in the right direction. There's a test of love, 
And really, love is the mark of Christianity. It should be. It's the mark of being a Christian, the test of love. And then the third test that we're not going to cover, we're going to hit that next week. It's called the test of truth. And that's where we're going to get into where John talks a lot more about doctrinal truths. And remember, you've heard me say this like three weeks in a row, but I'm going to say it again. Remember what's happening when he wrote the letters. Do you remember what was happening? This brand new baby church that's only 100 years removed from the ministry of Jesus, brand new, there's these leaders rising up in the church and they're, they're trying to, to create these false pieces of information that are in direct conflict with who Jesus was, is, and they're trying to actually elevate their ideas above God's ideas. And that was Gnosticism, remember? So they're the Gnostics. Every time you see John talking about things, remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to us, definitely, but it's always valuable for us to remember what was happening and who he's talking to. So he's talking to a group of people that have a lot of false information popping up, and they're trying to make sense of it. They're trying to figure out what's truth. There's, there's confusion. You know, um, as I was working through this and we were talking about tests, uh, I, I started thinking about this. You know, what, how do you know if something is true versus something is fake? How do you know what's real? How do you know what's fake? Hard sometimes, right? Well, I, I did a little research because I thought this was kind of interesting. You know, you think about great masterpieces of art, for example, okay? Great masterpieces of art. Do you know that it is estimated that 50% of art on display in circulation is fake? 50, that's kind of a big number, guys, 50-5-0%. And so there's this growing concern with finding, um, making sure that all these fabulous pieces of art have this thing called a COA, and that's a certificate of authenticity. And what I found interesting is, you know, when you're trying to prove that something's real, you can't really prove that it's real, but you can prove that it's fake. You know how you prove that it's fake? Is you hold it up next to the real thing. You hold it up next to the real thing. So like when it comes to art, they'll take something that they suspect is fake and they'll hold it up next to maybe um, a piece of art that's by the same artist, supposedly, and they'll look at composition and they'll look at stylistic details and they'll compare it to the real truth. And so when you hear these words, tests, John's deciding to say, hey, enough is enough. We're going to hold up this false truth that these people are trying to fill our heads with, and we're going to hold it up next to the real truth. And so that's what John's doing. He's exposing the fakes. So that's our introduction for what we're going to cover today. So in John, 1 John chapter 2, we're going to start this week with verses 3 through 6. The first thing we're going to talk about is, I call it a test of obedience. I think Jen, the author of the study, she refers to this as a test of righteousness. Well, I I like that, but I also like the idea of obedience. And so really what that means when you think about that test is, is this. You're asking this question. Okay, how do I know that I know him? How do I know that I know him? How many times did you see that word know in your text this week? Like a whole bunch, right? Over and over and over. And I think even in the homework, we were challenged to ask ourselves what it meant in different circumstances. Well, let me tell you this. In... Um, in this book, John uses, um, in 1 John, he uses that word over 40 times. No, K-N-O-W. And so he's trying to make a point. There's something we need to know deeper than just seeing, but really, really knowing. 
When I read through this first uh, verses three through six, I got a little, I don't know about you guys, but I got a little confused. Did anybody get confused? You were liars. You were all liars. Oh, well, I don't care. I got confused. And so guess what I did? I read it in my ESV. I did my homework for my ESV. And then I went over to the message that's a, uh, remember, it's a paraphrase. It's not necessarily a translation. But I want to read these verses to you in the message and see if this clears anything up for you, okay? So just listen to these words. You don't have to follow along. This is from the message. Here's, starting with verse 3, it says this. Here's how we can be sure that we know God the right way. We keep his commandments. If someone claims, I know him well, but doesn't know his commandments, he's obviously a liar. His life doesn't match his words. But the one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. This is the only way to be sure we're in God. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. I'm going to repeat that last part. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. So here's the thing. When we talk about these tests, this test of obedience that he's talking about here, he's not saying, um, if you obey my commandments, then you can be with me in eternity. Did you know that? Did you know that that is not what he says there? He's not giving you an if-then statement. You know what he's doing? He's telling you that your faith is a question of sincere obedience. Sincere obedience. That word, sincere, I looked it up. I found a kind of interesting little um, old folklore, and it's not really sure if this is true. But when you go back and you look at the Latin root of the word sincere, um, there's a couple different ways you can look at it. But a lot of people like to refer back to this this, this way that there's actually two words. And in Latin, there's sin, S-I-N-E, and sera, C-E-R-A. And you know what it means? It means without wax. Makes perfect sense, right? Move right along. Good. Sincere, without wax. And you know where it comes from? It's believed that this term comes from the Roman days when sculptors would cover up their mistakes when they were sculpting in marble, and they'd cover it by filling in the defects with wax. And you know the only way that you knew that it was fake? The only way that you saw the defects? What do you think? Exposed to the light. When the sun was shown on these big, massive, beautiful sculptures, all of a sudden you start seeing all these defects because the wax starts melting. And so... That's the idea of sincerity, of sincere obedience. It's this thing that's, that's real. It, it's this thing that's not, there's not melting wax that's showing. Like it's not you showing up on Sunday all pretty and looking good and then going out Sunday evening and, and doing and saying things that are in direct conflict with what you say you believe. You know, when you look at obedience, the idea of obedience, okay, because that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about being obedient those commandments that he keeps talking about. There's a progression of obedience, okay? There's a progression, and, and really there's three phases of obedience, okay? So hang with me. I promise I'm not losing it. I promise. There's fear. Is fear a motivator sometimes for obedience? Anybody been around a kid ever? Just asking. You know, those consequences that they learn to associate with, um, like, you're going to obey me or you're going to have these consequences. You're going to get spanked or you're going to get put in time out. Don't tell me you don't like any of that. I just, those are effective motivators for the early years, are they not? 
I don't know about you, but I wasn't able to reason with my two-year-old. There was no reasoning. It was she had to understand that there's fear involved if I don't obey. And the second progression of obedience is this. It's need. I'm kind of in that now. I have teenagers. Yes, be afraid. There's freedom that comes with obedience. They've learned. They've figured it out. Like, they're no longer afraid to time out because time out's not that threatening when you're 17. It's actually probably a good thing, right? You want to send me to my room? That's awesome. Um, But there's freedom. When you need, when you have a need, and if I know if I obey my parents, I'm going to get the car keys, right? So it satisfies a need. It's kind of like if you think about it this way. Um, Employees are obedient to their bosses. doesn't mean they always respect them. It means they need a paycheck. They have a need that has to be satisfied. So there's fear, there's, a, there's need. And then the last motivator is love, is love. And John 14, 15 says, talks about that, that we can love because he loved us. You know, the other night, this was kind of funny. I have, a, like I said, I got teenagers and I have a teenage daughter. And of course I asked her if it was okay if I told this. So I'd hate to get in trouble. She did the dishes for me, guys. Like that's, yeah, I know, that's my love language. Like do, do the dishes for me. And this was funny, like I was completely suspect. Like I'm like, what do you want? What do you, what do you, why are you doing this? What, well, let me see your grades. But here's the thing. She wasn't afraid of anything. She didn't do it because she needed something from me. She did it because she loves me and I was having a hard day. Look, seriously, it's a big deal. It was merely her outward expression of her love for me. That's what that obedience was. And so I think about our obedience to God. And so many of us have grown up in these places or these churches or these environments where obedience is an if you're obedient, then you get this. Or if you do this, then you don't get this, right? It's that, it's that fear and that need. But you know what God is calling us? You know what kind of obedience he's calling us to here? Love. Only love. We do this to ourselves. We decide that our God says, well, I have to obey all those things and all those checks of rules. And I have to be in church this many days a week. And I have to do all these things. Hey, guys, you know who said that? You said that. God did not say that. This test of obedience is not to be confused with this requirement list, but rather it's, hey, let me say this. If you know God in an intimate way, you know what you want to do? You want to go to church sometimes. It's just a thing. You just kind of do, you know? You want to go to Bible study because I'm like, okay, if I say that, I believe this thing, I need to figure out, I got to kind of figure out what it says. It's like all of a sudden, your motivation is very different. You're not afraid of a God who's shaking his finger at you And you're not afraid of this God who says, you have to do this or you don't get this. But instead, it's a God of love. And so that's what this obedience, this test of obedience is. Do you love me enough that your life reflects it? Do you love me enough that your life reflects it? The principle for this section is this. Sincere obedience is the external, visible proof of salvation. Not the reason for salvation. Sincere obedience is the external, visible proof of salvation, of knowing God intimately, not the reason for it. Well, the second test that John um, puts out there for us in the second chapter of 1 John is the test of love. 
Who's ready for some love? We've had a lot of complicated stuff, right? It's like, I want to hear some love stuff. I want to hear some love talk. Well, in his way, he packs us down in just a few verses with so much information, it's kind of hard to pull it apart. So I'm going to try my very best to kind of unravel it a little bit for you. We're going to look at verses 7 through 17. But we're going to break this test of love down into three different parts, okay, to make it a little more bite-sized. We're going to talk about that whole old, new commandment thing. Remember that part where we're like, what? There's old and what? That's verses 7 through 11. We're going to talk about the audience in verses 12 through 14, John's audience. Who's he writing this to? Who's he want to understand what he's trying to say? And the last thing, we're going to talk about the love that God hates. Is that confusing enough? The love that God hates, verses 15 through 17. I know that is a stumbling block. We talk about love, 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 and then we talk about hate. So we're going to try to clear some of that up, okay? So in the first few verses, verses 7 through 11, John starts talking to us kind of in a weird language. He's talking to us about old commandments of love and new love, right? Kind of confusing. Um, Let me read those verses out loud to you just to kind of refresh you from where we're coming from. So I'm starting in verse seven. It says this, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment. Okay, seriously, John, for real. He just did that to us, right? Did you guys just not stop right there and go, can you just stop doing that? So he's saying, it's the old commandment that you know, but wait, there's more. It's also this new thing. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Those are important phrases. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. More light and dark stuff, right? The old and new commandment. What does John want the readers to understand about this old and new commandment of love? What does he want us to understand? What does he want these people to understand? Here's what he wants us to know. In verses 3 through 6, there's talk of commandments, right? And in verse 10, he's talking of one commandment. Lift it out above all the others. And then verses 7 through 11, that's five verses where love kind of takes on this new meaning. Let me get you thinking about this for a minute. That whole concept of love, okay? You know love in God's word, you know what it is? It's the fulfillment of his perfect law. Do you realize that? Love is the fulfillment of God's perfect law. Now, if that doesn't make sense, I I want you to listen to Romans 13, 8 through 10. And and hear these words, okay? And then I'm going to show you something kind of neat that I'd never noticed before. Romans 13, 8 through 10, it says this. It says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, in your homework, we talked about some of that, right? I think you guys got to go back to that lovely chapter called Leviticus. So fun, right? Flip back. It's real clean. Nobody ever studies that one. And we learned a little bit about that old commandment, right? That we're to love God and to love one another. And then we move into the new part of that commandment. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But listen, let me just blow your mind for just a second. So do you realize in Exodus 20, there's this thing called the Ten Commandments. Anyone ever heard of them? Yeah, me too. I've seen cartoons and that, all of it. Um, you know what I never realized? Every commandment, every commandment has a common denominator. And the common denominator is love. Commandments one through five, no other God, no graven images, God's name in vain, the Sabbath, honoring your father and mother, honoring authority. Those are all about loving God. Have you ever noticed that? And then you move over to 6 through 10, and it's like, okay, we're no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false witnesses, no coveting. Those are all about loving others. We serve a God of order. This is not a coincidence. This is the old command. He's saying, loving God and loving one another, that's been a thing for a while, guys. But here's where it gets new. This is where it gets new. It gets new with who? Jesus. Sunday school answer, Jesus. This is where it gets new. You remember that part where it says, in him and in you? In verse eight, in him and in you. Remember, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is the perfect example of love. Is there anything else that that was about? It was about love. You know, 1 John three sixteen says, he laid down his life for us. And so when John's talking about this new commandment of love, he's saying, hey guys, that old stuff is still true, but guess what? It all came true in the fulfillment through Jesus. Does that make sense? That old commandment is right in line with that new commandment. Can I tell you this too? When we start talking about how we're to love others, can I just tell you this really sweetly and kindly? Um, God never asks you to do anything that his son did not do for us. You realize that? It is hard sometimes to love people. I mean, people are part of the biggest problem that we have. And it is hard. But I want you to remember that. When you, get, when you look at somebody, and I know you're thinking of people. Lord, it is hard to love that person. You better not be thinking of me or I'll spank every one of you. He never asks us to do something that he didn't already do. Be encouraged. He did it. We can do it. And so, so we have this idea, right, that love is the fulfillment of all this law, okay? And then we have the idea that Jesus is like the perfect example, right, of what love is. And then guess what else? We get to walk the walk, don't we? John's challenging us here. We get to walk the walk. We get to experience love. You know, he's basically saying, hey, guys, let me just tell you this. We just sang some beautiful songs, didn't we? It was so lovely. Oh, it's so pretty. It's all about love. And hey, if you're going to sing and talk about love and then go out and be a hater, it does not jive well. And our God does not like that. Consider this. In the New Testament, there are more than 20 one another statements. Did you know that? Those are basically commands that we're to do to one another. Okay? They're like little tips. 
you know, hey, you need to do these things to love people. Um, I put a few of them in the slides, but I want to hit on a couple. And I want to not make eye contact because these are hard, right? These are practical ways that the Bible tells us that we're to experience love by loving others. You know, there's that one in John 13, 14, where we're to wash one another's feet. We're to wash one another's feet. Jesus did that. And you know what I'm always amazed by? The whole idea that Jesus um, washed the feet of his disciples on the day before he was going to be crucified. You know what's amazing about that, guys? He washed all of the disciples' feet. Do you know what that means? Do you know who that includes? Judas. Anybody know who that guy was? He's the one that betrayed Jesus with a kiss and sent him to the cross. But guess what Jesus knew? He knew and he washed his feet anyway. He Talk about loving the unlovely. That's what our Jesus did. We wash one another's feet. Not just the clean feet, guys. The really gross, dirty ones too. We receive one another as Christ has received us. We edify and build each other up. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We confess our faults to one another. You know, forgiveness and confession, they're transformative. They just can transform a whole entire world, and they don't come naturally. You know why? Because we're born sinners. Use hospitality to one another, even when you don't get credit for it. Even when you don't get credit. Go look them up. There's 20. If you want to know how to love, that's how we love. The principle for this section is this. God's law is fulfilled in love. Jesus perfectly exemplifies love. And we share the experience of love. God's law is fulfilled in love. Jesus is perfectly exemplifying love. And we get to share the experience of it with others. Well, we're talking about love, right? And so we move into this crazy part in um, verses 12 through 14 that I am not kidding you. When we had our leader discussion, I think every one of us was like, seriously, what in the world is this little chunk? And why does he repeat himself? And who are the young children? And what the heck, right? Anybody feel that way? Were you kind of like, we could have probably left that part out, John. We could have edited that part out. Well, as we all know, every word in this Bible has purpose. Um, And sometimes it's not quite clear, but I'm going to try to help us muddle through it a little bit. In your discussion groups, you probably got a lot of insight as well. Listen, here's the thing. He's basically giving us three distinct stages of spiritual growth, okay? Three distinct stages of spiritual growth. Now, I, did, I will say this. There's a footnote. There are some scholars that think he's actually talking only about two stages of growth, the young men and the fathers, and the whole young children thing is like everybody. Okay, so there's, there's that school of thought as well. But we're going to cover the three different stages of growth just so you can kind of see how they may um, look different when they're laid out next to each other, okay? So let me, let me start by saying this. These are all stages of spiritual growth, but they are all worthy they are all worthy, every one of them. You know, we, it's funny when we make those small groups, we pray. And, and we are so silly, anybody who's been in the room when that happens. Because we pray and pray and we're like, okay, I don't know that name. I don't know how old that person is. I don't know if they go to our church. We know nothing. And we just pray. God, will you make these groups, We just unite them in a way that we can't even see it coming and just blow our minds. 
and he does. But you know what I find always so interesting is when, as the, as the, we, I mean, as the year goes on, the small group leaders come back and they report and they're like, oh my gosh, I have this girl in there and she has never done a Bible study before. And we're all like, yay, we're so excited, you know. And then I've got this girl who's done a thousand of them and she is dry as a bone and she's tired and she needs this girl. And then I've got this girl over here that's in this growth stage where she's just trying to figure stuff out. She's got kids and they're crazy. And she, what does this even mean? And what, what's my purpose? I just go to Target every day. I don't even know. And, and it's like, guys, it's like all these people, we are here for each other, right? All us Target girls, we don't, we don't need to just hang out with ourselves because it's just looking in the mirror over and over. I'm trying not to look at you, Jessica. <laughs> Sorry. But this is what John's doing. This is why we get a whole dadgum paragraph or two of these people. He's trying to explain to this, there are, there are, there's value in every stage of your faith. Every stage. I could cry. because so I look around this room and there's some people that are brand new believers. Oh, it's the coolest thing ever. And then there's some of us that have been doing this for a while and we kind of ask God over and over, will you just, I just need to want to open my Bible. I'm just tired, right? But he gives us each other. And so he gives us these distinct stages. So he gives us first the what? Little kids, right? Little children. He says the little children. And um, this is, this is kind of how I, the best definition I found of that is that they have basic awareness of the Lord. Now remember, he's also always saying here in verses 12 through 14, he reminds us that these are um, believers, okay? So he's saying, I'm making an assumption here that you are a believer, that you understand at least this much that there's this God and he loves you so much that he sent his son to go hang out in your town and do life and die for the sins that you commit. Okay? And so that's who those baby believers are, those little children. They're the basic, they have basic awareness, but they need growth and understanding. You know what I always find about these? They have this look, like they're in awe. It's like I want to go back to that. Anyone? Like sometimes I just, I get so mad because I, I lose the awe. And so that's who the young children are. They're in awe. And so then you have the young men, and in the message it calls them the newcomers. And they're not quite as experienced as the um, fathers or the veterans, but they know sound doctrine. And so like the little children, they may not fully have a grasp yet on this doctrine. All they know is the Jesus thing, and that's, that's enough. It's enough. But the young men, the newcomers... They have sound doctrine and they have his word embedded in them, meaning they've been studying and they're trying and God's word is in them, okay? The last one are the fathers and in the message, he calls them the veterans. I like that. Anybody want to go with that? We're the veterans. I'll take that. These are the believers that are the most mature. They have a deeper knowledge of God through life and through sound doctrine. Let me tell you this. I, you know, we asked the question in the homework, is this a literal or a figurative um, description? And, and I think somebody said both, and I, th I agree with that, because I think you can take these literally, but also figuratively, meaning I know a lot of people that are my age, and I'm not a little children, who have just come to know the Lord. Guys, this is not about age. This is about experience, understanding and knowledge through Jesus. 
And so what John's trying to tell us is, hey guys, every one of you matters. Is that good news? Are y'all happy that Susie that, oh, is there a Susie in here? I'm so sorry. That Susie that has like the Bible that like we, I'm going to say one more thing that's an aside. A few years ago, when we were training for leader training, we all got given a, this is, I'm going way off the rails right now, Mary Larson. We got given a little piece of paper and like somebody was leading the group and the rest of us had to like be, you know, different characters. And so like one of the characters was this girl that knows everything about her Bible and she has tabs and it's highlighted and it's perfect. And it was so funny because we were laughing about how easy it is to think that that's where it's all at. If I have if my Bible's real torn up, then everybody's going to think everything's okay. Or if I know everything, if I can quote every verse. But it's this thing of, of remembering that it's not about all this head knowledge, right? It's about that knowledge that gets soaked down in our bones, that's fire in our bones that we can't wait to get out. And guys, that doesn't mean you've been studying the Bible for 20 years. There's more fire in some of the girls that have been studying the Bible for six months than those of us that have been doing this a while. So take heart. It's for all of us. So that's what he's trying to explain to us over and over. Does he repeat a few things? Oh, yeah, people, he does. Did it get confusing? Yes. But remember, when there's repetition, what? We're supposed to understand the emphasis is there. That's like bolding, okay? If there's repetition, he wants you to know what that says, what it means. Don't skip it. Listen, um, the thing I want to point out to this to you guys right before we move on to this next section. I want you to notice after verse 14. Okay, so I'm going to read verse 14. It says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So he says there, the word of God, what? Abides in you. That's the goal. That's what we want. We want the word of God to be so entrenched in us, we don't even know when it's coming out. Right? The principle for this section is this. That we are all in process. We are all in process. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the word of God abides in you. Period. We are all in process. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Word of God abides in you, period. You don't have to have your Bible all marked up, and you don't have to have done 25 Bible studies, guys. Well, the last section of this uh, second chapter of John, the love that God hates. How'd you like that? How'd you like that, guys? We were just talking about love, 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 and then we end it with hate. I was so confused. Was anyone confused? It can be a little troubling, right? So I'm going to try to help us make a little sense of that. John 15, 18, jot that down. John 15, 18, it says this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. What does that word world mean here? I was confused. It's confusing. Is it the earth? Because that's creation, right? God did that, and that's good, right? Creation's good. Is it people? Because I think I just read we we're supposed to love people. So I'm very confused. 
Let me read this section, chapter, I mean, um, verse 15 through verse 17 to you, and then we're going to break it down a little bit, see if we can make sense of it. Verse 15 goes like this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right, that word world, what we're talking about when we see that word, don't let yourself get sidetracked about how we define the word world. I want you to remember this. It's an invisible spiritual system opposed to Christ's work on earth. That sounds really, really mystical, but I'm going to say it again. An invisible spiritual system opposed to Christ's work on earth. You know what that means in Christ theology? That means Satan is out there to get you. And he does it by being in the world. In those things that we think are really good, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what that means. So when he's talking about the world here, don't get confused and think, oh, I'm supposed to love the earth, I'm supposed to love my friends. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this realm of what's going on that distracts us from what's good. It distracts us from obedience and it distracts us from love. There was three devices that the world uses to trap us. Three devices, right? We wrote them down and we talked about them in homework. The first was desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh. And that was a very weird little phrase, I'm going to say. But let me give you a way to think about it. Think about it this way. Desires of the flesh. I don't know if this is true. Well, I'm going to say it. Almost, I would say anything in excess is probably leaning towards sinfulness. Can we agree on that? Anything in excess. Let me ask you this. Is hunger, is hunger a sinful act? No. But is gluttony? Yes. Is thirst sinful? No. Drunkenness? Yes. Is weariness sinful? No. Laziness? Hey, guys, bad news. What about sex? Not sinful, but immortality, excuse me, not immorality is. So you take hunger versus gluttony, and you take thirst versus drunkenness, and you take weariness versus laziness, and you take sex versus immorality, and those are completely different things, right? And all you've done is made something good that God created that's wonderful, and you've created this dark, awful thing because it's excessive and it's wrong. That's what the world does. Desires of the eyes, think of it this way. Um, That's your appetite. That's what you see. Your eyes are the gateway to your mind and your heart. Your eyes are the gateway to your mind and your heart. And the last was pride of life. And really what that means is boastful pride. Like what are those things that you just kind of kick God out of the scene and you just kind of make it all about you, you know? Oh, look how, wasn't that good? Uh, one of my favorite, you know, y'all know how I am. Um, those of you who've been in my studies before, that, that I, my life kind of gets run by song lyrics, but one of my favorites, where's Anne, is uh, I want to have pride like my mama has, but not like the kind in the Bible that makes you bad. That's the Avery Brothers. You should look that up. I want to have that good pride, right? I want to stand up and be proud, but I want to be proud because of him. I don't want to have that pride that makes you bad because it's all about me. And that's what the world does. The world doesn't tell you to give value to the Lord, does it? Does it? No. 
It's that invisible system that's trying to get you off track. That's what world means. So when you see that contradiction between hate and love there in those last few verses, don't let it make you stumble. Because God's being very clear here. He hates this kind of love. He wants the love to come through the Father. Remember the vertical thing? Because once you have that shored up with him, then your love is going to make sense in the world. It's my, here's my theology. Ready? I know y'all been waiting for this. My theology is this. There, I, I, a long time ago, I realized I overused the word love, L-O-V-E. I overuse it. I think I blogged about this because this is so interesting. I decided that, you know, I can't say I love tacos and then say I love my husband. That doesn't make sense. I do love tacos, but I L-U-V tacos. I L-O-V-E my husband. And we overuse that word, and I think we, we, need, to, we need to take it back. Take that word back. And so here's the principle. Y'all are going to love this. Love tacos. L-U-V. Don't L-O-V-E tacos, guys. It's not healthy. Love. L-U-V tacos. Love God. Love people. You can still love tacos. But it's a different kind of love. Well, here's the thing. We're going to close this up. Dear, sweet little children, young men and fathers, all of you in here, do you know that you know him? Do you know that you know him? Does your life reflect him by the obedience, by the way you live your life? Or does your life stand in direct opposition to what is in this Bible and what we know about Jesus Christ? It's a hard, it's a hard thing to look in the mirror and ask yourself, but do you know him? If you don't know if you know him the way John's talking about, come, will you come find me? I don't care if I'm talking to somebody. We're chatting. You come grab me. Grab a small group leader because here's the thing, guys. When he talks about knowing the Lord, he doesn't mean just knowing of the Lord because you know who knows of the Lord? Satan knows of the Lord, right? We need to know the Lord deep in our bones, in our souls. And the only way we can do that is the one way, the one way, the one truth, that's Jesus. So do you know that you know him? And let me ask you this. Which one of those one another statements just kicked you in the gut? Which one of those statements just kicked you in the gut and you thought, man, I'm not good at loving one another that way. I'm good at some of the other stuff. May I lovingly, kindly give you a swift kick and tell you sometimes God um, is trying to tell you something. When you get that feeling like, ooh, all, all those, but not that one. And he does it to me often. And the last question is this, who do you love? Who do you L-O-V-E love? All this other stuff is nonsense if you don't love God and love other people. That's, that's what Jesus said over and over and over and over again. That's the bottom line. I'm going to close with this verse and I'm going to pray. 1 John 2.17 says this. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. He loves you. Do you love him? Do you know him? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this crazy letter that we're reading. Uh, it blows my mind sometimes that, that John wrote this all those years ago, and it's so real for me right now in my life. 
Lord, I confess to you that I am not obedient like I should be. And, and my, what I say I believe doesn't always reflect well with how I act or how I speak or what I do. And will you just show me those one another things that I need to do better? Um, and Lord, I, I ask that on behalf of all of us. We all, we come to you and we are tired. We are worn out. Um, but I was reminded this week that your burden is light and you carry the load of those you love and and you love all of us father thank you for that i thank you for your son i thank you for the opportunity to get to study his words and his life and thank you that you sent him to this place to die for us man can't believe you did that we thank you so much for this place we thank you for this word in jesus name amen